0: Welcome Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy, and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Hey, welcome back to Humans of Magic. This is part two of my talk with Mike Turian, where we talk about specifically his time and experiences working at Wizards of the Coast in a variety of roles, including R&D and uh, some of the lessons that he's learned in the company, and some of the cards that he's been involved in designing amongst many, many other cool things. In case you have not had the chance to, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one as well, in which Mike talks about his early days of magic, playing in tournaments, playing in booster drafts, and the first half of his magic journey as a player. So this is part two, where Mike talks about life at WOTC. I hope you enjoy it. slightly and ask you about the time that you've spent and continue to spend at Wizards of the Coast to kick things off I'd like to ask you how was it that you started to work for Wizards of the Coast can you tell me how you how you got the proverbial foot in the door so to speak
1: yeah so I I started at Wizards in 2004 uh, and I came in as a contractor uh, R&D, uh, Magic R&D at the time, and still hires uh, hires people and his contractors, you know, with Pro Tour experience. And for me, that was, uh, I mean, basically my interview process was going to lunch with Randy. I mentioned before was my uh, teammate when we were both playing on the Pro Tour, and I had moved out to Seattle, sort of, uh, with hopes to work for Wizards of the Coast. And and basically, Randy, you know, and I went to lunch, and he's like, you know, if if this is a job you want, uh, the job's yours. And and that was basically my interview process, you know, to become, to get my foot in the door, as it were, right? I mean, to me, a lot of it was based on my historical uh, workings with Randy and workings with a lot of uh, the people who who had since migrated to work at Wizards. Um, And so that was really... uh, I, I I've always really appreciated that. you know. And, and then because it was a contract position, it was sort of, oh, let's see how good of a fit you are. Let's see how you can contribute. And I got hired on uh, full-time at Wizards, I think maybe like six or eight months later. That was early early 2005. Uh, and from that point, uh, that's how I became like a playtester in Magic R&D. And I would soon go on to lead um, both Magic development sets. Um, such as being the lead for Worldwake and Conflux and Future Sight. Future Sight was my first lead, but then also I would be contributing as a team member to uh, development teams, design teams, uh, and then always, of course, uh, doing some uh, future future league testing, right, of the upcoming cards. And really, when you're a contractor, that's sort of your first role is is coming on and just playing a lot of magic and giving uh, the team leads uh, feedback uh, about about the up, uh, about the cards, about their power level, about their design. Um, so, yeah, that was really my first role uh, within Wizards was in Magic R&D, uh, doing the design and development work.
0: Did you go into Wizards as a contractor, working with Randy and other people, sort of understanding what you wanted to do in the company? Because I imagine Wizards is quite a large organization filled with different roles and i i wonder if you know it sounds like you sort of took a leap of faith you moved to seattle you got you got into the company as uh in as a contractor but did you know from day one like what kind of things you wanted to work on at wizards
1: well i, I mean for me i knew what my immediate first step was going to be and that was just you know uh, getting hired on full time as part of the development team. Uh, you know, one of the pieces of advice that Randy gave me uh, early on in my career was, you know, he was saying, "Hey, Mike, you're doing a really good job uh, at the playtesting and at the design and development work." You know, but one of the things that's uh, really important is to become well-rounded and to sort of branch out and start working with the other departments. You know, originally I did um, the collation for Magic. Right, so that controls uh, about where the, about building the the magic uh, sheets and controlling like the foil drop rate and and the color balance of packs. Uh, And so that, to me, I use that as an opportunity to know the production team, right, to know the logistics team. Uh, I I also got involved uh, early on with like market research, right. Uh, We we publish a market research uh, survey for every set. Uh, and, and so I was the one who took over uh, running that market research and, and sharing the results with the team and and through that I got to know like the, the magic brand team because you know they they also uh, I mean they're they're the ones who, who sponsor the the that survey and whatnot. So I mean to me to me I, I think that while well, I didn't really know what I wanted beyond that immediate first step originally, um, because of that diversity Uh, I just had a... It it, it opened up a lot of opportunities for me.
0: Sure. And was it tough deciding to go from player to wizard's employee? Because I assume that once you're inside that world, everything's changing for you, right? Of course, it'll be a job. Uh, Magic becomes your job, and maybe less of a something that you can go to tournaments for and go to the pro tour and things like that. Was that ever uh a big decision in your mind as to making that switch
1: uh i mean to me i feel I, i always felt like oh i would miss the pro tour but i also knew that uh you know when i was 35 would i really still be playing on the pro tour and trying to you know make my living that way and writing articles and I kind of felt like, no, I would need something a little more consistent, a little more stable. Um, I really liked the opportunity to be able to give back. You know, I mean, Magic made such a, difference, uh, such a difference in my life. And uh, I kind of viewed joining Wizards as, um, yeah, just like I said, a way to give back uh, to the community and to the game. You know, something that helped me so much. Right. I mean, if you look at me from, you know, we were just talking about being in the Hall of Fame, but I started playing the game when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. I was, you know, at a, a new high school. Right. I didn't really fit in. I mean, I wasn't I, I wasn't like a social outcast by any means, but I still didn't really have that same friends group that a lot of people come into high school with. And so to me, Magic really uh, let me open up uh Make new friends and just grow as a person. You know, I mean, one of the things that I've always really loved about magic is just how much better of a coworker or teammate uh, I've become because of all of the interactions I've had working with people, uh, basically playtesting magic and competing together in magic. And, and I've always, uh, I've always really valued that.
0: Right. So in some ways, it's a practical move because you're looking ahead into the future, which is great. In another sense, too, it felt like some of the skills that you had as a player were transferable to Wizards, right? Like in terms of working with other people and and uh, and going deep into the game, things like that. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's totally fair. And, and really, a lot of my skills, you know, I, I always like to say when you first come into uh, Magic R&D as a new... Uh, as a new person, look, look, you will be—that is the point in your life where you are at best at Magic, because from that point on, it's like you get thrown into this world of playtesting and giving feedback and refining cards, and making design calls on cards. But it's not really about winning a game when you're uh, working in Magic R&D. What it is is, it's about winning for the community. Right? you want to give the the players the best possible experience and the most flavorful cards and so all of your feedback is around that and so it's not about making small sideboard uh, changes or improvements right which is really like that type of thing is really about I want to win this match to me it's uh, <clears throat> so so because of that I came in at this high point of my play skill but what I learned over time was I got to learn from my colleagues, you know, just like, oh, what does it mean to be a professional? How, how, do you, how do you interact with people in a positive way? How do you deal with uh, the challenges that uh, the business faces or that you face personally? Right. And so that's really where I shifted more of my focus in order that I, we could uh, make magic sets as awesome as possible. Right. And, and also for me to grow as a, as a person individually.
0: So in some ways it's good because it's becoming less about you personally and more about how do I make this game better for everybody. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so I want to go back into some of the roles you you mentioned.
1: The the roles I've had, I've worked in uh, Magic R and D as a de- uh, as a developer. Uh, that's not a, that's not a coder. That's like. A, you know, a final designer, right, as a game designer. Uh, I've worked in organized play as a digital uh, digital product manager. Um, that was when I uh, helped deliver Planeswalker points. Uh, I've worked on the brand team, uh, both as a product manager for Magic Online and, for, and a business manager for Magic Duels. Uh, that's my current title. And then uh, in between there, I worked as a technology producer, uh, working once again with the organized play systems, uh, but more on the the backend systems, and also helping like deliver like Planeswalker points and uh, make improvements to Wizards Event Reporter. So,
0: so Mike, as you were working with the market research team, was there something that you learned from that interaction that really surprised you in terms of insight into what the market wants? Maybe something that you had not realized when you were a player.
1: Uh, I mean, to me, I, the, the market research always. It, 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 it. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting. I mean, there's there's always so much uh, there's so much data. The thing that I always really loved was reading the. You know, we had a a section for like just open comments, uh, and of course, you know, we made the mistake one time of limiting it to I don't. I'll say like 500 characters, and then so some people there. Uh, the response was saying, hey, I have more than 500 characters worth of stuff to say. How come you limited this field to 500 characters? So that, I mean, to me, that was always a nice, I mean, it was like, oh, whoops, yep. Uh, and so that was always nice because it was this direct, uh, uh, direct improvement that we could make. Uh, I, I mean, the, our market research was was so broad. I always felt like uh, it, was, it was interesting looking at some other games and how other games uh, impacted Magic. Uh, that was always interesting. Like, at the time, Pokemon uh, was huge, and I guess as we're speaking, it's kind of uh, becoming huge again. But uh, Pokemon, the the card game, and listening to people talk about uh, their experiences with Pokemon and how that impacted them either becoming a Magic player uh, or not, I always felt like that was just interesting insight. Like, especially for me, because, you know, when I... When I started playing Magic, Magic was really one of the first uh, trading card games, and so I just had a different experience. So I, I always learned a lot uh, from that portion of, of the market research. And and being a lead on the sets, it was always just good to see, like, all right, what mechanics resonated with people, what what cards resonated with people, what cards didn't resonate with people, so that way we could always... You know, go about refining our, our choices for the future. I always thought that was a a really fascinating part of just seeing. And we have this historical uh, historical database of, of mechanics and and how well uh, and how well they've been received. So, uh, you know, that, that's a good that's good to just be able to check your work, mm-hmm. right? Because, like I said, it is about making the best possible game and best possible experience, and measuring it, that experience is is a huge piece of that, right? If you you know we don't want it to just be speculation about how how different sets were received.
0: Yeah, so if we jump ahead to modern day like say 2016, I would expect that there's a very mature market research uh, and customer feedback process for magic, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know a lot of times when we um, publish a big announcement, you'll see, hey, this is the link to give us feedback and and I know I mean you know when I was part of the magic online team that feedback would come directly uh, to the magic online team you know I mean so when you do get that opportunity if you do have something to say I'd encourage you to to use it um, because it, it really is just a great opportunity to connect I mean I, I know also social media provides people an outlet but um, you know sometimes, when I see somebody complaining or even praising us on, on social media, it's like, oh, I wish they would also copy-paste it and, and send the, that to us as feedback as well because you know the, the people that may need that information aren't necessarily following them uh, on social media. And so it, it just – it really does help us a, a huge amount and it really pushes forward uh, and challenges us uh, to, make the, to make magic awesome.
0: Right. So, Mike, you worked in R and D for for your first time for your first full time role. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I worked in R and D. Um, I the last set I led was Scars of Mirrodin. Um, I also then was on the development team for Mirrodin Besieged, and I, I helped contribute to. I think it was Magic twenty twelve uh, was the last set where I was. A team member uh, on, so that was actually like in 2010 because you know we work uh, we work a few years ahead of
0: ahead. So how many years in total had you worked in R and D? I
1: think it's five. I think it's five years uh, was about how long I was in R and D, and and I left R and D because uh, I really wanted to push forward the Planeswalker Points program, and I recognized the only way I could do that effectively was to uh, join the organized play team uh, and so I, I i left my role as a a magic designer and and joined the organized play team and i believe that was right at the beginning of 2010 uh, was when that happened
0: was that a tough move for you to make because i would imagine that at least for those of us looking from the outside maybe R and D seems to be the 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 uh or maybe Maybe just myself, I would tend to glorify R and D as some as the place to be in Wizards, uh, where you're actually developing cards. So was that was that something that was hard for you, or it's just that you felt like you needed to be the change uh, somewhere else, and and, um, and 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 that's what prompted the move.
1: I mean, to me, you know, much like leaving the Pro Tour was was hard, leaving R and D was hard, right? Like just like you were talking about. Like oh you know, being being a competitor at the pro tour, it is tons of fun. There is a, a lot to learn and a lot to uh, do there. I had been playing on the pro tour at the time for uh, I believe seven years. Like we were just saying, I was in R and D for about five years. I made you know, I got to you know one of my goals when I came into R and D was to lead a large uh, expansion. So, and I accomplished that with Scars of Mirrodin. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely was leaving behind um, a lot of the fun and a lot of the uh, the rewards of of making magic cards in that way. But I also knew I was moving towards something that uh, had a lot of meaning to me as well. You know, I was talking about my uh, my rating, and you know. I mean to me the vision of Planeswalker points, playing is good, winning is better, I really felt like in order for Magic to to keep growing and for so many more people to experience the same joys playing Magic that I've had, uh, that it was really time for an updated, more modern uh, rating system, right, one that wasn't punitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so because of that, like, it that part of it made the move easier, right? Of like, oh, I knew exactly what I was moving towards, mm-hmm. right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna really go help the digital organized play, uh, you know, some of the the products that we offer, right? I mean, I got to work on Wizards Event Reporter, and you know, we we made huge strides with Wizards Event Reporter uh, while I was the product manager for it. Like, you know, I'm sure I'm sure people would like even more more improvements. Of course, that's always that's always going to be there. Um, we got to launch a new store locator and improve that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Planeswalker Points was really uh, my, my biggest accomplishment of, of joining the OP team.
0: Yeah, and arguably, I mean, Planeswalker Points will impact more people and continue to impact more people in the lifetime of Magic than any particular card or set of Magic, right? At least that's how I would see it.
1: It's yeah, a, although I did make Jace the Mind Sculptor in Tarmogoyf, so <laughs> <laughs> they're impacting people's uh, uh, <laughs> lives and magic. Okay,
0: okay, we gotta go back to that. So yeah, we and, gotta
1: go. and Stoneforge Mystic. We, we have to go back to that.
0: Now I understand why, because uh, I understand why you mentioned Stoneforge Mystic and your, your daughter having Stoneforge Mystic uh, in in the first part of our talk. It's it's all becoming more clear to me. This is right. uh, yeah. So as we go back to your R and D days, uh, you mentioned Scars of Mirrodin leading that. Uh, maybe that's one of the things, maybe it's not, but if you could look back at that five or six-year time period, what are the moments that really stand out for you?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, I did hit on uh, leading Scars of Mirrodin. I always, I mean, to me, that was uh, a big goal uh, that I had was to leading the large set. Uh, I mean, leading Future Sight, I felt was, uh, it was super exciting. You know, we never really had put together a magic set uh, like future site, um, and we really haven't done it since, right? Just this whole idea of what's a, what is the future of ma- what are these alternative futures of magic, right? What are the possibilities? Um, you know, putting things like, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Steam Flogger Boss into magic, right? I mean, cards that uh, today people are still still talking about and. Uh, still excited about and you know I mean to me some of that Future Sight captures those first uh, those first moments in Magic or back when I played Magic before the internet was uh, was as popular as it is now where you would just get this Magic card and you'd be like what is this what does it mean right Uh, trying to recapture some of that so Future Sight was definitely one of them Uh, another huge one was bringing Planeswalkers to the game Uh, you know Planeswalkers uh, we'd originally talked about them being in Future Sight, uh, but for various reasons, we ended up putting them into Lorwyn uh, as their debut. But just the whole idea of bringing—you know—it's not not a new subtype, right? But just a whole new, a, a whole new uh, element to the game, right, with its own rules and and you know, I mean, one of the things to me about Planeswalkers that I'm always so proud of is I feel like we got them exactly right. You know, there have not, Planeswalkers have not had any major revisions to them. I mean, there's been new Planeswalkers made, of course, but, like, the core rules of Planeswalkers uh, has basically remained the same. Uh, and so, to me, it's just something I'm super proud of, you know, and, and Devin and Lowe and Mark Rosewater I mean, deserve so much credit for, uh, for Planeswalkers. And, of course, I mean, there's so many people, uh, uh, I can't name them all, uh, but, I mean, to me, that's just, uh, I, I, I think as as my legacy as a magic designer goes, I, I feel like Planeswalkers are really uh, way up there in terms of how I've contributed to magic.
0: How did you guys go from the idea of a Planeswalker to actually launching Planeswalkers in Lorwyn? I mean, I imagine there must have been... A ton of different revisions and testing as someone who doesn't understand the process of developing a card let alone a new card type I'm just curious as to how you guys went about doing that
1: uh, I mean to me a lot of it just involves playing the different versions that the designers come up with giving them feedback over and over again I think Devin uh, Lowe actually published I think the article called like the 19 rules of planeswalkers I'm a I may be misquoting the title there, but it, it's something, right? It just like, and to me, it just gives the like, oh, here are all the different design constraints uh, that went into it. But the number one thing about it was it's like, it just needed to feel intuitive. You needed to be able to, uh, it needed to be simple yet yet have depth. And what I mean by that is when, when you play a planeswalker, it needed to be something that as, as a game, as a game piece, and rules that were relatively straightforward, right? It, and it, and I think it achieved that as much as it, as much as it could, right? Like, oh, you can only use planeswalkers on your own turn. You can attack planeswalkers, just like if there's a player, but you can block for them. You know, th- those type of rules. Uh, you know, in, in all of these different iterations, they would they would come up with things that just you're like, oh, you played, and you'd be like, something is off with this. You know, something uh, like, like some versions would just uh, use their abilities and, and more expire, right? And to us, like, making sure that it had the loyalty was such a, a huge piece of it. And something that really set it apart from other other magic cards, right? I mean, Planeswalkers and Enchantments uh, are kind of live in the same space. And so we really wanted, to, like, how do we make Planeswalkers feel different from Enchantments? Right, uh, so the whole attacking them element, the loyalty element, that the fact that you could use direct damage, right? We wanted to make sure that people had multiple ways, multiple axes to interact with Planeswalkers. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's very involved, and one of the things one of the things I really think that benefited Planeswalkers and that shift from Future Sight into Lorwyn was that just gave us uh, extra time to make sure that we got them right, you know and i feel like we did
0: yeah i mean you mentioned it right we you didn't you guys didn't have to change any of the mechanics at all and it's been the same since day one so i would consider that to be a huge success and you know i i definitely see a lot of players who are very very much into planeswalkers i, I i'm gonna guess it's probably one of the most popular card types of magic today
1: yeah right it, i i agree with you and to me that's uh that's one of the reasons I brought it up there as a, a big success of my time in R&D.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about Jace the Mind Sculptor? <laughs> because yeah. this is a card that I and many people love. Uh, even as someone like me who plays uh, more of the Eternal formats, It's it's been great, obviously. I mean, it, is there anything that you regret about the card, or do you think it was 100% perfect the way that it was it went out as uh
1: i I don't know if i i mean regret mm, that's not that's not the word i would use uh i mean to me definitely i feel like jace so jace uh at the time was our most beloved planeswalker and you know he he was really one of the key pieces of the story uh you know in the world wake said and and as planeswalk i mean planeswalkers were brand new Right, uh, and so we knew we wanted Jace to be awesome, like we wanted him to to live up to you know his second incarnation, right? Because he'd already been Jace Belair and had been printed uh, in Lorwyn. and so this was you know another look. I mean, a big piece of that was the four abilities, and we knew that okay, we want him to have four abilities now. At the time, uh, you know a lot of our balancing of Jace, and that's definitely something that you, know, you could argue that we could have done better. Although here's the here here's the truth of the of the matter: is you know, as designers and developers, we want to be making exciting cards. We want to be making cards that people love. I mean, you mentioned how much you love them, uh, you know, in some of the the legacy formats, right? And and so because of that, it's like you know, I mean, he, he ended up getting banned uh, and was, you know, part of our, I mean, a very, very powerful deck. Uh, too powerful, right? I mean, that's, that's when we banned cards. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know if I would go back and change him because of that. Or because if you change him, it's like, well, that. That means that he's not at you know one of these cards that you're talking about uh, uh, in Legacy necessarily, right? We wanted him to be the star of the show. I didn't want to uh, undershoot with him uh, in terms of that. Um, and the four abilities was was very interesting. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. I mean, at the time for players who were playing back then, uh, Bloodburied Elf was you know in Jund were just these these powerhouses in Standard, and a lot of our our balancing of Jace was against Bloodbraid Elf blightening style decks, right? And that's really bad news for Jace. He doesn't, you know, creatures with haste are just have always been good against Planeswalkers. Uh, you know, and if you come out, of course, your temptation is to brainstorm uh, with him, and so that leaves him very vulnerable to Bloodbraid Elf and, and negates the card advantage uh, that you're really looking for in a blue deck. And so uh, while when Bloodbraid Elf uh, rotated out, and a lot of those cards, or a lot of the cards that made Bloodbraid Elf decks so good, rotated out. Um, Jace did become a problem. I mean, at the time, we we really, you know, we we thought he'd be very, very good, but uh, we definitely missed a little bit on the high side.
0: So it sounds like essentially Jace the Mind Sculptor was one of those examples where you guys wanted to push the envelope. So there's not, it's not so much regret as. R and D needs to try to push the boundaries of what are powerful and fun cards, right?
1: Yeah, as much as people say, "Hey, I want balance." Um, if you play a game where every every decision is exactly as good as one as yet any other decision, I mean, that's not a that doesn't have high points and low points, right? I mean, as a card game, sometimes you're going to draw your best card in your deck. And sometimes you're going to draw the worst card in your deck, but if every card was just as good as the other, then sure, situationally some cards you'd be hoping to draw or not. But it's important to it's important to be able to have cards that people that people love and cards that people hate. And so, uh, you know, with Jace, we wanted to make a card that people love, and and I think that we accomplished that.
0: Sure, and. Again, going back to your, your history in R&D, other than Jace, did you have any favorite cards that you had worked on? Like, what would be your top five, uh, if you could look through all the things that you, you were involved in?
1: Uh, a couple of cards I'm really proud of. Uh, Blazing Archon uh, was one of the—it's uh, a nine-mana, five-six. Uh, uh, you can't be attacked. Players can't stack you. Or sorry, I think it actually says creatures can't attack you. Um, I'll, I'll double check the wording while we're <laughs> while we're here. But uh, it's not it's not a super powerful. Yeah, creatures can't attack you. I got that. Um, it, it's not super powerful, but it was one of the first designs that I got through. Uh, we have a design uh, submitting process where you can uh, different teams will ask for cards. Um, and and you submit them, uh, and then they either get chosen or not, right? So it's like sort of an open submission process. Uh, And so at the time, I think I was a contractor uh, when we were making Ravnica, and so I I got in Blazing Archon, um, Grazoth uh, from that set, and also a Lore Broker. Lore Broker, I thought, was especially funny. Um, Two mana, one two, tap. Each player draws a card, then discards a card. Because the specific notes were... We want a looter, but we don't want it to be uh, too good, right? Because basically, like, every looter, like, Merfolk looter, Reckless Scholar at the time, right, they're all they're all just, like, excellent, uh, you know, top pick blue cards uh, for limited. And so they weren't looking for that. And I was like, well, if you make it symmetrical, then that'll make it a lot worse. Although, funny enough, it still has seen some play in uh, various constructed formats when uh, it was sort of the best reanimator option uh, to, to help discard. So, uh, but those were some of my first cards. Also, Vesuvian Shapeshifter uh, I I made. Um, and I submitted the, the design for that. And I love that because it has the, to me, the, the love that people had for Vesuvian Shapeshifter. Uh, or sorry. Toppleganger. Uh, um, uh, here. D- yeah, doppelganger, uh, Vesuvian doppelganger, uh, but in a, a cleaner way using an updated mechanic, right? Uh, and so, so I, I th- always always was really proud of that. Uh, Tarmogoyf, of course, I mentioned. Uh, you, you know, as the as the lead, they're all all of the cars are sort of. Uh, become your, your babies, as it were, right? You're responsible yeah. for the whole set and everything about the set and working with the different creative teams and the editing team, uh, right? So, you know, on the sets themselves, uh, you know, it's kind of different, but that, that's how come I kind of go to some of the the cards that I submitted. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Tur- Turian Muller, um or torian muller however you want to say it i like to say it torian muller uh just because it you know it, it's a pretty close to name to my name <laughs> it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's in a set that i was the uh that i was the lead on the creative team says it has nothing to do with it uh but you know i'll i still hold out hope i don't you know i'll never know but i, I like to think that it's uh you know, it's kind of a vanity card, as it were. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always hard to get put on the spot like this with a question like this because they're, as you said, they're all your babies, right? You can't say who's, which ones, uh, who's your favorite daughter if you have two daughters, kind of thing.
1: So. Right. L- luckily, I have a son and a daughter, so I can answer that. <laughs> uh, yes. No. It's very. It, it is very much that. Right. Of. You know, every card down to you know the commons, the uncommons, every. Every one of them, you know, I, I would remember when I was working on uh, magic card sets. Like I would, I'm not saying have dreams, but like I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd quickly find myself thinking about, you know, uh, a given card in the set. Oh, you know, what should, what should Thornling's activations be, right? What, what, what most, uh, what's most appropriate? What does Morphling most justice, but feels green, right? And you just. Wake up in the middle of the night wondering about these, or you know, on the drive home. But it's it's sort of like um, back as a player, I would find myself just like uh, wondering about different card combos or or building a deck when I should be paying attention to you know my schoolwork or something. And so to me, the being a card designer uh, and 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 helping balance the cards is sort of that same. Sort of that same space of, oh, there's always something more you can be thinking about uh, in ways to make the game better or set better.
0: Right. So, Mike, is there anything that you would tell potential uh, fans of the game who want to get into Magic r and for the first time? I know this is kind of a broad question, but based on all the learnings you've had in a half decade of working there, if I were somebody who wanted to break into Magic R&D what are some things that I would be able to potentially do to get me there?
1: Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's one of the top questions I get when I go out and, you know, I get to go to pro tours and Grand Prixs uh, from time to time or just local shops. And when people find out that I work at Wizards, you know, one of the top questions we get is, oh, how do I get to work at Wizards? Uh, so th- there's a couple good, uh, good steps you can take. Of course, one of the big things is getting a college education. Uh, you know, th- there's been a few people I've worked with in uh, in Magic R&D that didn't have a college degree, but it is by far the exception. Uh, and so that's just um, you know something basic that hopefully somebody who's really motivated is is just doing on their own uh, anyhow. Beyond that, I think one of the top things to do is become great at whatever single axis that you choose to uh, pursue, right? So for me, that was, oh, I became uh, a great Magic player, right? That's basically, oh, I tried to be a great teammate, tried to be great at Magic, built connections with the Magic community. Like I said, Randy was the person to bring me in uh, originally. And a lot of that was just based on our history as teammates and Randy's knowledge of my uh, accomplishments, but at the same time, maybe you want to become uh, an editor in, in Magic RD, right? There's, I believe, right now there's an editor position uh, available to go uh, apply for. Uh, that's one basic thing is is to keep uh, looking at our job website, right, to see what job opportunities come up to apply for. Uh, but you know, for like an editor, I know that um, I remember like Kelly Diggs came in. Uh, as an editor early on, and when he, when he came in, I know the fact that he had been a, a prolific author was one of the was one of the things that helped get his name known, right? And so that way, when this conversation was happening about who do we want to bring in as an editor, it's, it's like, oh, K- Kelly Diggs. I think maybe he even came in uh, uh, through the website. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, some more. Uh, through Daily MTG,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know he, he became he was you know had to become top notch at both editing and get his name recognized because there's tons of people out there in in very few very few positions uh, and then of course you know for like an editor up oh, there's uh, additional testing that goes through uh, like the great designer search up oh, those people have I mean when those first round of uh, the testing comes in it's like basically if you're not getting a perfect score on that uh, on that initial test you, you know your your application for that set to the side I think you can miss a few questions but you know certainly certainly you need to get an a uh, grade right to keep to keep advancing on so they just have so my point there is those people have, such a huge depth of knowledge of Magic and then also have been working on their game design skills, right? Uh, so often they'll they'll have their own prototype game that they've been dabbling with, you know, or multiple or maybe even have been published uh, as a game designer elsewhere because, you know, there's only, you know, 50, 60 people in, in R&D, right? And so percentage-wise, you know, you really have to... Uh, both specialize and get your name known. So th- those are a couple of uh, things. Uh, there's there's other routes. I mean, we always have like um, uh, game support, uh, customer service positions uh, available. And I, I definitely know that some people have come in uh, through that route and then sort of worked their way up in the company. Um, so th- there's, there's a couple other things that you p- could potentially do, but uh, definitely having a focus You know, taking a look at the the job site and seeing what positions become available and, and, you know, what experience is needed so you can work to build your experience up in those those areas.
0: Mm -hmm. And having your own projects and putting your name out there and really contributing to the community in some way, that's also something you mentioned.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's – I mean, it's very meaningful when you see uh, somebody apply who has, you know – who's contributed and done their own projects, right? A lot of the work that Magic R&D does is leading different projects, right? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, the different card sets, but um, there's dual decks, there's uh, intro decks, there's the deck builder's toolkit, right? I mean, the list just goes on and on. Uh, And so, at some point, one of those projects had to be kicked off and led, Right, And then there's people responsible to make sure that they keep going and being high quality. And so, you know, being a cons- consistent contributor, I mean, that's just a good indicator that, hey, if you can do it, uh, you know, in other aspects of your life, that you can do it uh, for Wizards as well.
0: Right, right. Okay, Mike, so I want to kind of s- switch gears a little bit because uh, you mentioned you started as in R&D, which we were just talking about. Then you moved into Organized Play, which uh, you were responsible for launching Planeswalker Points. So thank you very much for that. That's been an awesome thing. And can you talk a little bit now about your current role? Because I understand that you're now part of the brand team, right? Can you tell me about what your role is there and what your day-to-day is like in this type of role?
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, in the past couple of years, I've I joined the brand team. Uh, first, I was the product manager for Magic Online. Um, I was re- responsible for the live operations uh, of Magic Online. So basically, you know, whenever Magic Online uh, was up and going, and any troubleshooting and helping work, helping the team work through any problems.
0: What does it actually mean to be a product manager at Wizards?
1: What is it? Uh, So you're responsible for uh, you know the product, as it were. I.e., you you manage the product, right? And so uh, for me, a lot of that was you know working on uh, new features, working on new offerings, right? For for Magic Online, you know, we uh, in my time we did uh, we innovated the cube. uh, You know, like oh, we introduced the Legacy Cube. We introduced. Uh, you know we took the holiday cube and turned it into the the vintage cube um, we we launched the the new client right that was one of the uh, the big things that we were focused on and then we had to keep making improvements to the new client because I mean with any new client you're always going to run into unexpected issues and and you know you go through and you triage okay oh this person's having or people aren't able to trade cards well that's a that's a huge deal. So that's the number one thing that we're focused on right now. You know, uh, oh, okay. What else? Oh, here's this issue. Um, you know, with collection management. Oh, here's an issue with events. Okay, how, you know, which ones are we going to focus on, and in what order? Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot of that um, that goes on. Another thing the product manager uh, does, like and now Lee Sharp now does this for Magic Online. He's responsible for all of the events on Magic Online, uh, and so you know when you hear something about oh we're having the Legacy Festival or the Vintage Festival or or you know he introduced uh, the Power Nine Challenge, right? So all of those different uh, events on on Magic Online, you know there's some there's a whole team of people. Uh, that Lee is coordinating with to to offer you know great play experiences, uh, and and there's I mean if you look at the Magic Online calendar, uh, you know including their the the queues there are a ton of events that happen on Magic Online every day and every week, um, and so while some of those are just recurring, you know you, you always have to be focusing on oh how how is the legacy League doing? How is the, uh, you know, how is the standard queue? What's its fire rate? How many people join, uh, and then drop without playing? Um, you know, are people choosing the friendly pre-release or the competitive pre-release? How do we, do we need to adjust it? Right. So even when you're keeping things uh, uh, the status quo, a lot of times there's a lot of analysis uh, that goes into that sort of, uh, to those decisions. Uh, and, and now I'm the um, the digital business manager for magic duels um, and so for that I'm I'm more involved in the analytics piece I'm more involved in the uh, the in-game advertising the promotions like we just uh, uh, we've been running versus battle weekend uh, where we're doubling your uh, coin rewards for wins and multiplayer play uh, you know we've done uh, we've done a few of those uh, over the past couple months we just uh discounted uh origins magic origins boosters in duels to 100 coins although that that since has ended uh, i think just uh and so uh, they're back to 150 coins but you know working with the team on, on promotions uh such as that and and taking a look at things like oh how many people are beating uh the campaigns what's the what's the win rate the loss rate like where where do we need to be looking to adjust things and improve things in the future? Uh, so those are those are some of the things I do for uh, Magic Duels now.
0: What's the most exciting thing in your current role that you you really like? You know, get up in the morning, or maybe throughout the course of a week or a month, you you feel like really excited to to work on.
1: I mean, to me, the biggest it's you know it's funny the I think in all of my roles. It is launch day and launch week, right? It's like, oh, Eldritch Moon is coming out. Uh, Here's, we've put in features and fixes and, you know, where the biggest feature, of course, is the new cards. Uh, And so that's always the thing that's most exciting to me is just, oh, like the new content. It's the time where all of the decisions that you've made uh, are really come to fruition, Right, you get to see. Oh, hey, we decided to change this one element. Like, is that making players' lives better? The same, you know, worse. Hopefully, not worse. Uh, uh, but that 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 really is uh, to me the most. So it's kind of you know, is that on a day to day? I don't feel that every day, mm-hmm. but uh, that's sort of. I mean, very much, especially having been at Wizards for uh, coming up on twelve years. Um, that to me, you know, that, oh, here it is, new set, new excitement, you know. And, and I'll say one of the things, too, I enjoy uh, now is as I've moved away from Magic r and D, I I have less uh, insight into the upcoming cards and the up- upcoming mechanics. I do have, I mean, I, I can only, <clears throat> I still have a lot of knowledge of that. But uh, because I have a little bit less, I get more of that, uh, the day of joy mm. of, you know, when I'm talking about the Eldritch Twin pre-release, you know, it's like, ooh, what is this? Oh, what does this card do? Right.
0: Maybe you can enjoy it more as a fan, as opposed to like an insider, even though you are an insider.
1: Right. Exactly. I I can have some of that uh uh some of that balance. Uh, you, you know, other things. I to me personally, like I'm the uh. <clears throat> I get to work with, for Magic Duels. I get to work with the ratings and uh, helping improve our ratings. And so one of the things that I get to do a lot is just, once again, read the people's comments on uh, Steam or on iOS, on Apple. Uh, just like, oh, like what are the reviews saying? Is Are we seeing those type of uh, – are we seeing that experience – in our numbers as well, right? Because a lot of times you get insight of different places to go look in the analytics just based on uh, people's comments, right? Like maybe somebody's had a, a crash issue uh, at a certain point. And so you can go say, oh, okay, like, are we seeing are we seeing that reflected in the data? Uh, and so, you know, you definitely get little moments of, ah, here, here's feedback that we can give the team to make people's lives better. You know, and, and a lot of times that's initiated by by the players and their own feedback.
0: Right, and that sounds more immediate, right? Like, it's not like I created a set and and you wait a year for it to come out and and then you you, you get the feedback trickling back to you. It sounds like in your current role, you're able to directly respond to, read, and act on uh, feedback.
1: Yeah, I, I and mean, one of the things I enjoyed about the shift from making the paper cards to working in the digital space was both with Magic Online and Magic Duels, uh, you're able to take feedback and get it processed far faster, and and hopefully get results faster. Uh, one of the things that always would uh, kill me uh, back when I was a, a Magic developer was you'd be arguing it in a room with. Arguing about, oh, should this card have two toughness or three toughness? (laughs) And and then people would be, you know, making good points about both sides and this and that. And so you'd make a decision. And then uh, often you would have to, you know, wait a year or so for the card to come out. And to see people in the situation where, you know, this is going to make a difference for them. And then after all that. You know, you wouldn't remember which side you were arguing for Mm. and or, you know, like if if it was a a bigger decision, right, maybe like, oh, should we make this card or not make this card, right? Uh, It's like all of a sudden everybody was on the side that was obviously right. And like you couldn't find the person that you were actually (laughs) just with. Like they somehow have disappeared. Like I don't know if they left the company or what, but you would always be like, I know I argued for like two hours about... This right. and but I, but who was I arguing with, and why is everyone agreeing with me now? When you know people weren't agreeing with me then, so that that closeness and that immediacy, um, digital definitely offers more of that type of um, more of those type of rewards, right? Than uh, than working on uh, the paper game.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's definitely very different from uh, the different hats, the the previous hats you've had to wear. Who are some of the best people you've worked with at Wizards of the Coast? Obviously, Randy's one, but if you had a list of people that you've worked with and maybe learned from over the years, can you tell me a little bit about who they are?
1: Yeah, I I mean, that's kind of a, once again, that's another situation where I feel like, oh, I could just sit here listing and, you know, I mean, I've worked in, um, I think it's five different departments. I think in my 12 years, I've had... You know, I think it's eleven or twelve different managers. Uh, you know, partially because I've switched, partially because uh, I work with a lot of talented people who go and and do different things, either within Wizards or the world. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, Rand- Randy was definitely someone who back uh, back when I was playing Magic and bringing it in, and you know, I, mean, I still get together with Randy regularly and and play board games and. Whatnot, so I still see uh, Randy quite a bit. Um, you know, let me, I know, I, I think, you know, back when I was talking about how people are are very specialized, I think that's the thing that I've really gotten to admire about uh, uh, people at Wizards. Like, yes, they are very specialized. And, you know, like you talk about someone like Brian Tinsman, uh, you know, he, he's written a book on game design, uh, and, he, and he's design uh, been the lead designer of a number of Magic sets, and uh, now I think he's kickstarting his own uh, uh, his own game. Uh, and so it's like, oh, he's a fabulous fabulous game designer. But I also was in Toastmasters with Brian, and he he's a fabulous public speaker. You know, he he was somebody that I always really admired uh, his public speaking skills, and so that to me is, is always so impressive, right? It's like, oh, you work with these people who are incredibly talented in the area that you see every day, but then they're also so, so talented in uh, uh, so many others. I mean, I would, you know, I mean, Mark Rosewater, another great example. I mean, the man produces an unbelievable amount of content, right? We could, we could be on this talking and doing this interview for probably a year straight and we still wouldn't be close to how much content that Mark has put out about Magic and how much love and, and you know, wisdom he has shared. Like, it, it, it's, I mean, to me, that's always truly incredible. Um, so, I, that's a, those are a couple people. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, there's, there's so many people. I, I think one of the things that's kind of a shame is, oh, you know, the, the faces of Magic aren't more public. You know, I, I would love if someone came in and uh, and really, you know, took a deep dive into Wizards and its, and its culture and its people and, and wrote, like, a, a nice article or something like that. I mean, I, I to me, I, I think that would just be an amazing thing to really do all the people who work on the game such justice that a lot of times they just behind the scenes
0: mm-hmm. because like there's people like uh Aaron Forsyth or Randy or yourself and Mark Rosewater who are like the public faces but what you're alluding to is that there's so much more than that right I mean it's a it's a large team and there's a lot of stuff there's maybe there's a lot of unsung heroes as it were in the public sphere is that fair
1: yeah that that is exactly what I'm saying there are you know every day there's people who who come to work because they love what they do they love they love magic and to them, it's not about receiving the credit, right? They're actually uh, more of a fan of the fact that like, we have uh, these great public figures like Mark who just represent Magic so well. And so that way, in in some sense, it's like, yes, it's Mark telling the design story. But people had to work on all the logistics of getting those cards made and the, the art for the cards made and getting the cards distributed to all of the local game stores all around the world. I mean, there's, you know, it's such a huge list of people, uh, and and we really do a great job with it, and, and it's a game that so many people love, and so I think that's, you know, like I said, that's a huge list of people, and I, <laughs> we, we would be here all year if I just was, uh, it would just be a list of names. Right, so.
0: right. So, Mike, let me wrap up with one final question for you. Do you have any... Personal goals for the next three to five years of your life.
1: I, I mean, to me, I, I'm really looking forward to us taking magic uh, uh, to the next level. I mean, that, that's always what sort of my goal is. I, I've had a lot of roles at Wizards, but and to me, each role has been about, oh, how can I, how can I keep making magic better? Um, so that's really what I'm I'm looking forward to. Is you know, I know uh, R and D has a a great plan for the future. And and we're going to keep executing uh, and, and making magic. Uh, you know every, everything it can be. And you know one of the things I love about magic is we always take it to places that uh, you wouldn't dream that magic has been uh, until until you see that new card. So and to me that that's really where my goals are at. You
0: know for magic. Right. What about any goals you might have outside of magic?
1: Well, you know, maybe I'll come back to the Pro Tour, win a couple more. I always wanted to win back-to-back Pro Tours. That was always my goal uh, there. It's going to be really tough because I'm working at Wizards to to accomplish that goal, but, you know, you never know. I I, I would still love to do that, uh, you know, maybe maybe one day. My wife would probably eject. She kind of likes the fact that I have steady employment, so we'll see.
0: (laughs) Do you miss it, though? Do you still have the fire? Like, do you still miss playing competitively?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. I, I, I miss playing competitively. But the thing, One of the things I love about playing Magic competitively in any competitive endeavor is, you know, it's very rare in life that you can go into a room with a group of people and at the end of the day point to one of them and say that person was the best today. You know, they had... They, they did... Whatever they did, they did the right thing. And... You know, tournament magic offered that, and it's something that, you know, as an 18-year-old and as a 20-year-old, uh, I really valued. You know, and so part of me always will miss that because, you know, like when I'm talking about arguing about should a card have two or three toughness, there may have been a right answer, but it's it's so far it's so far removed. You, you, we'll never know. I mean, all the market research in the world wouldn't uh, be able to answer that type of question. And so Tournament Magic, you could say that person, they were the best. And I enjoyed being the best.
0: Right. And uh, I do believe you are one of the best ever. So that's, that's a great mindset to have. And it sounds like it has not left you. So Mike, I want to thank you so much for taking the time over these sessions to talk about life with magic and also now your continued success in wizards i wish you all the best in your future future magic endeavors thank you so much and uh, i hope to talk to you again soon
1: great yeah thanks for having me
0: i hope you've enjoyed this episode of humans of magic i would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better you can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.